Look, being in retail is tough, but being a retailer is tougher. Most people have no idea how stressful it is. And what's worse is if you're giving it everything you've got and your business isn't giving you enough back. If this is you, you need help. And the quickest way to get where you want to go is to drop the idea of what do you need to know, but rather who do you need to know. Knowing who to contact in your moment of need is the fastest, most sure way to get the results out of your business. So if you're stuck and just can't get over that wall, I'd love to help. Email me at donovan at musicretailconsulting.com and let's have a chat. It won't cost you a thing and you'll certainly benefit from sharing your current experience with someone who's been there and done that. So let's talk. D-O-N-O-V-A-N at musicretailconsulting.com. Hello and welcome to the Music Retailers Podcast. I'm your host, Donovan Bankhead, and together you and I are going to listen to and learn from some of my favorite instrumental music retailers, manufacturers, well, anyone else that I think would be interesting. My goal is to provide a podcast where you can learn something new in every episode. So I'm really excited today to do this podcast. This Leslie, when I started this podcast, like you were like literally one of the top people on my list uh, <laughs> because for a couple of reasons. One, like I when I put together my list of people to, to interview, I was thinking, who do I know well enough that will probably do this for <laughs> for me? So you made that list. And then I was thinking, <laughs> who has like a good business that has things that they could share to help other people? You made that cut. And then who's just a, like a heckin' good time and a lot of fun to talk to. And I was like, all right, <laughs> there was not many people that made all those three wow. things that you definitely did. Damn. So I'm glad that's to awesome. finally get you. The, <laughs> the only downside about you is you're a little, like, you're kind of, you know, hard to get. You're like a greased up pig, you know, like <laughs> trying to nail you down to get this yeah, thing happening. Absolutely. It's a tough to do. So I'm glad that we yeah. finally did it. It took I a global subscribe. pandemic. Yeah, I don't subscribe to, uh, to like, I don't know, societal norms of what's expected of me. I really, if people are like, oh, yeah, you have to bake, you know, two dozen cookies for this, like, cookie drive. I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't have to do that. So I, I tend to, um, I tend to say no a lot. And yeah. it's good for me. I yeah. really, um, there has to be, like, a reason, a reason I would want to do it. And uh, I'm, I'm not. <clears throat> excuse me, I'm not into um, the so much self-promotion that I'm so like driven to do every little thing. So, so it did, it took a little while for me to go like, ah, I don't want to do that. I don't want to talk on the, but now it's like, okay, well, we're all struggling with some stuff. I can, I can talk. So yeah, yeah this is good yeah. times. Yeah. It's we're, the whole point of this is to share uh, both our, our successes and our struggles and the yeah. efforts of helping people and uh, uh, giving people help and hope for what, what they're trying to do in their business. So yeah. uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. So Good. give me a little bit of background first on your, the, how uh, uh, your business um, uh, started because there's a really fun story about how <laughs> and how you got involved in it. So yeah, give, us, so give us the name of your business, where you're located, location. Give us all the okay. All the good stuff. Um, so the name of our store is Instrumental Music Center. We have been open since 1999. Uh, so we just celebrated our 20th year last year. Um, I know. I didn't think that that would ever happen, but it did. <laughs> Sorry. I'm terrible with that. Um, so we, uh, I met, I, 
graduated from college in 95 and got a degree in chemistry with a minor in math and physics of all things. I'm like, I have no idea what I'm going to do with this. And I was working selling radiation therapy equipment. And I met this guy who was getting a degree in music education. I'm like, oh, he's kind of cute. And so we hooked up and we got married in 97. And shortly after that, he was working as a band director uh, here in Tucson. And shortly after that, he's like, you know, all the music stores in Tucson suck. I'm like, yeah, I know. I have to go to them with you. And he's like, yeah, we could do it better than all of these guys. I'm like, oh, no, we should not do that. That's a bad idea. And so um, so we started out. Uh, he tried to get some of his uh, friends involved. He finally got one of his friends involved um, who ended up being like a big-time DJ here in Tucson, which is hilarious. Um, so he, we started up at the music store in 99, and it was 1,500 square feet. It was just this little postage stamp kind of thing. Started from scratch. We knew nothing. We went to the NAMM show that year. We trottled into the Yamaha booth, and we tapped our Yamaha guy on the shoulder. We're like, we're here to sell your product. And they're like, who the hell are you guys? Like, <laughs> beat it. Like, what are you? You're, do you have a music store? We're like, yeah, look, here's a picture. And they're just like, wow, we have no idea who you are. Because at that point in time, there was probably five, five music stores in our town, and they just all just, like – had issues, um, stocking issues, pricing issues. Um, you'd go in and there it'd be, it'd stink. Um, you'd have to ruffle around through like the attic to find what you wanted. I mean, every one of them had issues. Um, and that was why we wanted to start our own. My husband and I had to go to three music stores to find four cello fine tuners that matched. Um, you need a whole set of drum heads for your, your drum set. You know, it's been Mike, my husband wanted, um, Mike is his name. You're going to hear his name a lot. Um, mm -hmm. Mike wanted um, pinstripes. We had to go to like three music stores to get four, you know, the whole set of drum heads for pinstripes. And, and it was bizarre. Uh, that's some, some bread and butter stuff should just be in stock. And so mm -hmm. we went about it um, with the philosophy that we're serving the Tucson community. So we, we have, we had the essential elements book for bassoon. We had the, you know, standard of excellence book for bass clarinet, you know, some of the odder instruments that are off in the fringes. We're like, we should stock that book. It doesn't really, it's not that much skin off our nose to have that book in stock just sitting there. And so we started doing stuff like that. And, um, but the manufacturers of course had no idea. So we, we tried really hard to, um, convince them that we needed to open and uh, they said no no we really kind of can't <clears throat> so the only company that touched us there was two of them Gemeinhart which they've seen better days sadly uh, and Getson uh, were the two companies that came forth and was was like yeah we'll open you we're like cool but we still didn't have enough um, instrument mix to do a, like a rental fleet so we ended up hooking up with American Musical Instruments M uh, AMI before they became AMG and before they became music and arts. And that was way before Chicago, or, um, uh, uh, what is it? Guitar Center. Yeah, Guitar mm -hmm. Center purchased them. That was way mm -hmm. before that. So we started out um, from scratch. We had like our couple instruments on the walls, cellos on the walls to fill up wall space. It was very cute. Uh, I could forward you some pictures if you want. <laughs> there was, I love it. So, I saw the pictures when I went to visit your store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
so the um, so the concept was really simple was just like really focus on just the local musician who wants stuff and the band directors mm -hmm. but the band directors would come in and go like you don't have anything we're like oh so um, so then we started expanding so the next uh, in 2001 um, the place next to us opened up and it was a florist and so we took this two bays that they had and then remodeled those and what was interesting is as soon as we did that our, our sales doubled and i don't know if it was just that we had a bigger sign and we were a bigger presence or we were more of a real store not really sure what what it did but that was a huge stepping stone um and then i joined the store full-time in uh late 2001 and um it was just the right time that my industry was starting to um, starting to change. That was right after the 9-11 attacks. And it was great timing to be out of having to fly everywhere. So mm -hmm. it's like, this is great. So then I joined the store. Um, and then, um, then we expanded again in 2005. And then 2008 was the recession. 2011, we opened our second store, which is over on the other side of town, the west side of town. That was 2011. And then, um, yeah, we've just slowly been like expanding and growing and just like keep kind of doing our thing. Um, at this point in time, our biggest uh, sales are um, rentals. Rentals are definitely the, the biggest revenue driver. And then we do a ton of school bid stuff. Mm -hmm. um, is the school bid is that a profitable activity for you guys totally is well it totally now, is tell me the secret to that how, how how are you able to do school bids profitably i don't chase everything i just don't um and then there's a there's a state contract here in tucson that is actually um very difficult to get onto and we looked at the comps going in and there was money to be had there margin wise so we quoted appropriately so that we would also be in that appropriate margin no sense yeah. in undershooting that so we uh, we stuck with what other people were doing and became one of the one of the vendors on that awesome. uh, yeah yeah so there's a couple school bid um, state contracts here that work really well for us um, one is just like 25% off shelf pricing and shelf pricing is arbitrary so shelf pricing can be map if we make enough margin or sometimes we bump it up above so that we aren't at least losing money but so that works out really well um, yeah. So there's a lot of, um, we don't chase every little thing. Um, there's mm -hmm. some big bid houses that I think are kind of all floundering right now. Um, cause interstates out of, out of business or sold or something. Uh, Casio yeah. interstate yeah, they've, yeah. They've filed for bankruptcy protection. Right. I don't know, well, that was the last I heard. I don't know if there's something new since then. Right. Right. And I know Nick rail is going through some big changes. Um, really? Oh yeah. Well, lucky that. Oh, they're, wow. Yeah, they're one person that does school bids. Lucky died at the wow. NAM show. Like it was Sunday. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I shit you not. Um, yeah, and then Laura Penrose bought um, Nick Rail. Oh. Laura Penrose okay. was the Maple Leaf rep. Yeah. Yeah, and she worked at Summer Hayes for years, and then she uh, somehow she was able to get a small business loan and purchase nick rail music like the whole thing i'm like dude how how did that even happen that's like all right that's I'm, like I'm adding her to buying, my podcast oh list. you totally should she's kind of uh she's a little bit scattered right now still she is drinking from the biggest fire hose ever i feel for her 
she, it's, but she is 100% an awesome person. Now, uh, I, I, you, you kind of glossed over this or haven't gotten to this yet. Uh, <laughs> and we talk about your business too. We should also mention, you, know, you, do, you do a little bit of combo and other stuff, but, but as you mentioned, you are mainly a, a band instrument rental store. I mean, that's, that's yeah. where you guys make your money. So, you know, really this, you and your husband together started this business, but, but Mike was the one that was really running and he's a drummer. He's, you know, he's the one that was really into that. And then, you know, kind of through opportunity, you, you came on to kind of help. But then over these last nearly 20 years, you kind of pushed him out. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're, you've been running the show for, for quite have. a while now. Uh, so I have. Tell us, tell us kind of about what happened there. <laughs> and, and, and what's the difference? Like, how, how has the business changed? Obviously, some of it's just the maturity of a business. You know, there's the, the, the growth of the business is just some, some of it's a factor of time. But how has it changed because of your different styles? You know, you, you, you and Mike are, uh, are, are a great pair and a great couple, but you're different people, you oh, know, different totally. personalities yeah, and stuff. Absolutely. Um, so, so it was probably about 2001. It was right after our expansion. And Mike's like, you know, things are okay. I don't, I don't feel like working that hard. And I was like, what, there's stuff to do. We got to like, you know, expand and we got to do these things. And what about lessons and all of this stuff. So, so at some point he, he just kind of stopped doing as much uh, in the store day to day. And I really just kind of took it all over. Um, and then we upgraded our computers and then every step that we did that was more um, out of the beginning things, he really felt, um, kind of left behind in terms of his training and he just let it happen he's like all right leslie's got it go for it so he's really been very encouraging over the last probably five years of just like you go little dinosaur go you know knock them out of the park yeah little yeah dinosaur, is that his nickname for you no 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 it's, it's this it's this book series that we kind of quote because it's ridiculous oh, gotcha. okay. um no. <laughs> um but he, he's been very encouraging over the years of just like, whatever it is you want to do, just knock yourself out. And we, we talk a lot about, about things. Um, but at some point he became like the muse of the store. He's like the one who um, has like these great ideas about um, the store design. And um, he built, we did a new repair shop about two years ago and he built like all the benches for it and like designed all the, the wiring and, the um, air hoses for the compression and all that stuff. But he's not very active in the industry um, in terms of um, doing presentations and stuff like that. He could just he'd care less <laughs> about any of that. <laughs> yeah. But I'm usually the one that's like, yeah, I'll do a presentation on, you know, I could talk about anything for about a half an hour. So sure. I'm like, this works out great. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you have to fake your way through it, like, you know, you know like, who I knows? Totally. Through. I could totally, yeah. I've got something to say for 30, for 30 minutes. minutes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ooh, nuclear physics. I'd have to brush up a little bit. For, well, first, I mean, so. we all would like, yeah, me, exactly. Give me right. a few minutes yeah. to Google it, you know, right, right, right. <laughs> you know, a Wikipedia article. I can, I can exactly. Let me all have it up over here now. <laughs> Makes it easier to fake on zoom calls. Um, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so, yeah, so I've been pretty active with the industry and I've wanted to get back into NASMD and um, all that stuff. And then this all, whole thing kind of happened. So sure. uh, it, it's going to be harder to right now. I've got two high school kids at home and they really need a lot of, a lot of just 
love and effort. So I haven't been too involved with uh, with NSMD or, or NAM or anything. But once the kids get a little bit older, right now they're like 14 and 16, get a little older, then I'll try to try to do a little bit more with NAM and stuff. Four, 14 and 16, and they're still living at home? They are. Kick them out. It's, I know. Get kicked out of the nest. Yeah. You're almost done. I know. You've only got a couple of years left. It's true. So one of the things that I love love about you, not only are you like you're great, very smart and do a great job with your business, but you like you definitely know your personality, know who you are, and you don't feel any reason to compromise that either for a, like a cut you know for your customers or the industry. You just kind of are who you are and you throw that out there. And yeah. sometimes I think people, especially in, in the school music business. Uh, we tend to be, you know, people tend to feel like, uh, I don't want to ruffle any feathers and oh. stuff like that. And you're just like, eh, to hell with the feathers. <laughs> if someone's so going to clutch a... their pearls because I said shit, then that's their problem. Seriously. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a vanilla in any way. And um, yeah, I'll call, I'll call a spade a spade. I had a situation the other day, one of our vendors to be named unnamed had the end of their fiscal year was April 30th. And um, surprise, they shipped some stuff that I told them to put that on hold because we don't, we're not open. And I just, mm -hmm. I called him out. I'm like, look, guys, I feel betrayed that you shipped this out on your, the end of your fiscal year. And you could tell me all day long that it was just a accident or whatever. But I've worked in corporate America. I know how things work. So you cannot tell me that it didn't happen. So yeah. I'm, pretty, I'm pretty disappointed in you guys. And I know as I was like, as I was doing that and talking to him, I'm like, oh, I bet there's like so many retailers that are never going to say a word because they're yeah. afraid of ruffling feathers and that just lets companies like that get away with stuff like that. Yeah. You know, when a company comes in and says, yeah, I need all these hooks to be my hooks. Who puts up with that shit? I mean, why yeah. is that acceptable? That's not acceptable. So when a company comes in and says, yeah, I want all these guitars here and I go, well, that's not going to happen. So is that going to be the deal breaker? And they're like, well, yeah, I'm like, all right, I guess, I guess that's it. Because I'm not going to change sign them. <laughs> exactly. Send yeah, them on approval. If you want exactly. to pay the rent or whatever, that's fine. But if totally. I'm buying your stuff, then it's right. Yeah, and I'm going to send back be stock at the end because nobody wanted that weird guitar. Um, yeah. yeah. So I've we've been very um, protective of IMC as a as a noun as an entity on its own. It has its own personality and has developed its own culture, and and our staff is very protective of the culture of IMC. And so because of that, it's my job to protect IMC. And if our vendors start just shipping shit because they feel like it or have the end of their fiscal year and want to try to, you know, make that mm -hmm. extra extra bonus, like, no, that's not how this works. This is a two-way street. This is, we're together. So I, I do call people out and vendors out. And I've gotten in trouble with a couple vendors um, that we've broken up a couple times. And uh, it's a tenuous relationship as to whether or not we stay together. But it's, it's honest. It's like an honest thing. This is not, you know, my ego coming through saying like, I'm mad at you guys because, you know, rah, 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 rah. You know, if I order something and it doesn't sell, that's on me. But if you're yeah. forcing me to take stuff and it doesn't sell, then we're going to have a real problem. Yeah. Um, yeah, they need to be able to be prepared to take that back. So, so yeah, at standing up for yourself as a business and a person is super important, even if it is in the you know school school music industry where everyone has to behave. It's like, well, now there's still room for that. Yeah, you can still, yeah. you know, standing for something and standing against something uh, 
helps you to stand apart. And, uh, you know, as I, like we're friends on Facebook and I'm, I, I, don't, I would assume you're friends with some of your customers on Facebook as, as well. Couple, not too right. many. Probably the I, ones um, that you feel like you might have more, like an, an, an honest relationship with and not right. just. Uh, right. And that's but, it. Uh, I, cu I curate my list pretty, pretty closely. I don't let just people that I know of be on my list because they have to know me. And if they know yeah. me, they don't get offended by me. But if they don't know me, they're going to look and go, what the heck is this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah you, cause you're, you definitely, I mean, it's your, it's you, it's your personality on like your Facebook page. And I know yeah. like I, I will often do the same thing, but then I'll hear from employees or my wife sometimes like, oh, you really shouldn't say that, or do that. And I'm like, oh. why not? Like, like I want it, why can't right. I just be a person too? You know, exactly. Like, Seriously, why can't I disagree with people. Why can't you know? Like right. I don't, I'm not mean and hateful about it, but like exactly. Why can't I express my opinions just because I run a business? I'm not allowed to have an opinion that might offend someone. And right. And of course you are. You just have to be willing to take the fallout from it. But the night, the other side of that though is that if you stand for something, there will be other people that will stand behind you because you're like you're actually not you're not trying to say well you know there was plenty of good people on both sides you know you're actually like standing up for something you believe in that you think is important and you're going to take the fallout and totally you know. yeah absolutely um, I'm not brave enough to do that but someday <laughs> someday I'm going to borrow your balls and do it so <laughs> well I just started out that way and and I I would. I would pick up some friends that were like friends of Mike's, but not really friends of mine that they would send me a friend request and then they would get all pissed off and like mad at me on Facebook. And so then I would unfriend them and just like, go, all right, fine. That's you, not me. And right. so I have, I have just developed a really kind of tight knit group of people who get to know me and everyone else like, yeah, it's, there's a learning curve. And unless somebody's willing to go through that learning curve of getting to know me, they're just going to be offended, um, yeah. which there's really, I'm, I'm not a mean person, honestly. No. I'm really not. <laughs> yeah, anyone who's, who's, you know, doesn't know you, you're not an offensive person, but you just I'm you not. speak your mind. Yeah, that's, I don't, I don't want you to, I'm not trying to make you sound as like, you know, the same kind the of worst. or something. I'm going to get all these Facebook requests out of this now. Perfect. You're the Andrew Dice Clay of music retail. So <laughs> <laughs> there's a 90s reference for it. You have to be of a certain age to get that. I think Alan Friedman is the Andrew Dice Clay of the music industry. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, so ask him for his dirtiest joke, and then you'll find out. Yeah, you mentioned earlier. Well, don't forget, I'm the guy that gave Alan the handmade leather underwear with pink tassels. So, oh, uh, that's so good. Uh, but anyway, so um, you had mentioned about your your store culture. Describe what your yeah. what your company and store culture is like. It's very much a family of just friends. It's it's, but they're all out to help the goal and so we are let me step back nobody works on commission at our store it's very flat and if somebody saw our wage chart they'd go oh yeah yeah that makes sense the most important people at the store make the most amount of money and then go down from there and in general everyone kind of makes what you would expect them to make if they saw a chart they wouldn't be shocked um and we're just really fair with stuff um so we have a great group of people that are there because they want to help the music industry uh, or they're between jobs and don't really know, you know, they just graduated with a degree in clarinet and they don't know what to do with that. And so we are kind of, we have a lot of younger people that work for us and they're kind of in a holding pattern until they figure out what they're going to do with the rest of their life, whether it's to move to 
Wisconsin and open a cheese factory or whether it's to, you know, do clarinet professionally or whether it's to repair instruments. So we get a lot of um, transitional people, people that are just out of college um, and definitely towards the younger spectrum of things. Um, and so these are excited, young, happy people that are really happy to be there. And they really get who IMC is. IMC is just a wholesome, good, reliable place where you can come in and get help for whatever it is you've got musically. You know, we're not there to push product on anybody because, because we don't work on commission. There's never a pushing product agenda to the equation. We are there to help. Now, of course, we'd love to sell people and we ask people to ring up thing when they're ringing things up that we, you know, they try to ring up three things in that sale. And that just proves that they're not just clerking like, oh, you want one box of reeds? Okay, that's 35 bucks or whatever. Um, you should be showing them around the store and showing them the new rose gold ligatures that we have. You should be showing them the new um, buttons we've got or what have you. So because of that, IMC is like a safe place that people can go and like hang and have a good time. And But there's, yeah, it's very it's a very exciting thing to do to work at our store. And so we have, um, we have this culture of just people kind of taking care of what's supposed to be taken care of. Um, when, when something goes wrong, I'll even hear like, that's not what we do here at IMC. Um, and to some degree, I'm a bit hands off from the day-to-day -day operations of, it, of managing employees and such. Uh, Michael Santander, our general manager does that. And he exemplifies uh, what's going on with, with the, the employees and their needs and where they are. And if we can tell if somebody's down, if they're having some hard times, we pull them aside and say, Hey, how, what's going on? How can I help you? Ultimately, when, when people leave my employee, leave my employee at IMC, I want them to be like the best person that they're going to be. Um, I've talked to people about just having confidence and, and getting their stuff done. There was one guy, he just couldn't get his degree finished. He was getting the run around. And so I gave him like this huge pep talk of like, you don't put up with that. You've paid $40,000 for this degree. You need to go in there and you need to meet with this person and this person. And you need to say, how do I get this done? And just open-ended questions. And then you need to say, you know, and then you need to push them and you get them in writing if you can. Otherwise, I'm going to, you know, say this type of thing. And really just like pushed him with like really good energy and like a mom, like you go and you tell them you're not going to put up with this anymore. Right. And he's like, he's like, okay. And he went and he did that and he got his degree and he was like, I got it. I'm like, boom, good job. Um, and that's what I hope for people who work for us is that they're going to get some life skills and they're going to get some push and they're going to feel like they have a, like an IMC mom that like watches over them. It's, it's helpful to grow people. And I've had people that have worked for us for a while and then gone off to like some really cool things. And it's great to see. And I'm always sad to see them go off, but I always know mm -hmm. that they are going to go off. I mean, I can't pay them $50,000 a year to work the front counter. It's just not feasible. Yeah. Yeah. So, of course, they're going to do something. Um, or maybe not. Maybe they'll just be happy with what we got them for. So, so yeah, it's a, it's a fun thing. For, at the NAMM show, I, I have this. This is really great. At the NAMM show, we took everybody to Disneyland. <laughs> and so here's all these pictures of all these staff doing all these amazing things, going to Disneyland and Roscoe's and, and here's everybody signed it. That's Space awesome. Mountain. Isn't that fun? That is. That is. 
because we're all a bunch of nerds and uh disneyland had just opened uh galaxy's edge and we all wanted to see it so i'm like that's it we're doing it so we picked two evenings and gave each we have two teams that go to the nam show um and each team got to have about six hours at disneyland and a yeah, hundred bucks a ticket probably 20 people went yeah it was pretty expensive but yeah whatever <laughs> yeah. And it's, you're not doing that every year either i mean that's a probably special, not a treat, yeah a special treat. yeah yeah yeah. We've had, uh, we usually do like a big lobster dinner at this amazing Chinese restaurant. And it's usually the bill's about 900 bucks. So it's kind of, and we do two of those. So this was a bit of a wash, actually. Um, yeah. yeah. So that's it was all. good. It was so really fun. How would you just, thinking about like just the, the local music market in Tucson with other, your, other stores and competitors, how would you say that your business is different from your competition? We are not as scrappy or as desperate or as, um, yeah, it's like if you could imagine going to like a family dollar store versus going to Target. We're more of a Target. You know, mm -hmm. everything's clean. People are neat. You can identify who works there. Um, the prices are what they are. They're fair. They're not the lowest, but they're fair. Um, whereas some of the other places are more like the family dollar store. There's, uh, there's one place that um, has changed ownership over the last couple of years and has downsized and upsized and just continues to say that they're like the biggest in Arizona, but they're not even close. Um, you know, they, they, they try where they can. Um, and then there's another company. One of our other competitors is, uh, is like a pawn shop that, got turned into a music store and they they don't buy anything new they're not a dealer of any new brands um so but they they definitely hit that low market of like mm -hmm. yeah just the the very inexpensive rental um so we don't have a lot of competition here in tucson um there is a music and arts here in tucson um it's almost a non-entity they've uh just never made it with the band directors just don't get them um they've just never made a inroads real well mm -hmm. so yeah it's yeah being, it's, it's, it's it's good to be spot. in that position of your with with your competition where you guys are it's in some respects you guys are also you're kind of serving different parts of the market you know we kind I mean, of are that person that's covering the bottom is good and having the person yeah. that's covering the wide middle is good like you know that, that's a nice spot to be it's you know, it's tougher, like in, in Springfield for our main location, you know, we've got a couple of us that are all trying to cover that same market. And so it's just like this constantly, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, that gets a little, a little, you know, grading after a while. So. Yeah. That's hard. Yeah. We're, we're all kind of serving different markets. Although one of our competitors, the one that has downsized, he thinks he has the same customer as we do. And we really don't. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is fine. Yeah, <laughs> he can he can think that we can do. <laughs> so, uh, we had uh, uh, kind of started our conversation right off the bat talking about the um, uh, all of this this COVID stuff. Uh, let's I want to touch base on that a little bit. Um, yeah. uh, and, and add to what we had said before. But you know, when this all first started, you know, that hit a lot of us really hard. You know, the, the fear and worry of what's going to happen to our business, what's going to happen to our people, and um, you know, there that uncertainty of knowing you know how things are going to go uh, uh was very stressful and trying for all of us and for you certainly um yeah. 
share with me kind of like what the, what your thoughts and fears were at that time, like, you know, roughly what six weeks ago or whatever, where, you know, you have to close down and, you know, what was kind of going through your head at that point? It was, it was like horror show. It really was. It was like the worst case scenario um, because I'm having to send my employees home with no, no, no plan. I have no plan. My plan is to close. That's, that's a shitty plan. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it was very much, I was worried that we're right next to a, an air force base. So I kept worrying that I'd look into the Valley and that there'd be nuclear bombs going off because that was going to be the next, the next big thing. That was not going to be a surprise to me if I had seen that. Um, it just was so apocalyptic. Um, yeah. And it's, it's better now, but it certainly is not, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that apocalyptic fear is is there in me. Um, I worry about when the supply chain for food runs down, when when the factory workers stop working, or when the shipping people stop shipping. Um, the only thing that's keeping them doing it is a paycheck, and take away that, and suddenly they're not doing it, or take away their health, and suddenly they can't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, I my worry is not gone in any way. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're all going to have to get this virus. It's just the way it is. There is no antivirus or vaccine or anything like that. Um, and this is an RNA virus, which is different than any other virus we've ever tried to have a vaccine for, because there's only been seven RNA viruses, and this is the seventh that we know of. Um, so this is not a normal DNA virus like like um, the flu or AIDS or any of those or DNA vi- viruses. This is an RNA. So MRSA, Ebola, SARS, um, all of those were RNA, which is just a different mechanism. And because it's a different mechanism, we just are not as familiar with it. Even though everyone's mm-hmm. acting like it's the same, it's very much not the same. Um, and it's mutating really fast. And I don't know what the end game is going to be on this. Um, yeah, and I worry about making the wrong decision. And I feel always like if I had all the data, I could make the right decision, but I feel like I don't have all the data. I don't think anybody has all the data. Maybe maybe mm-hmm. people in Washington have all the data, but they certainly aren't sharing a lot of it. And they aren't <laughs> acting like it either. <laughs> I, this is true. <laughs> they certainly are, are not making very uh, comforting decisions. They aren't giving yeah. comfort. Comfort and joy is not something that they're offering right now, which is a weird thing because that's like the one thing we hire those people to do is yeah. to make us feel better in a bad time, not make us more anxious. Um, yeah. I would, and well, I would actually, think that of, of, as a showman president, I would think that he would understand that more than anyone, but he's, yeah, sad. He's an idiot. Well, I, I, don't, I don't think of them for that, but I do think that one thing that we ask of them is for them to keep us safe. And, uh, I mean, that's why we allow them to spend all of our money on this grossly oversized military and, and why we become the world's police and everything else is because we expect them to keep us safe. And when they don't seem to be taking that responsibility seriously and sharing the information that they know, it definitely creates a lack of trust for sure. Totally. Totally. So it's really left, it's really left us retailers with floundering as to what the real answer is and what, how do we move forward and all of that stuff. Yeah. Every business. uh, not just. And that's exactly. Well, you know, I, I understand your, the feeling you have about, you know, trying to make the best decision and, you know, uh, make the the right decision. I think um, I resigned myself when this happened. Like I had no idea what the right decision is. And 
especially when this thing all this thing started, it was hard to even predict what would happen next. I remember uh, I first heard about this. Uh, I'm in the, a mastermind group with the folks from Whizbang, and they brought it up in January. And mm-hmm. I thought January, I was like, this is not going to be that big of a deal. Of course, I was wrong on that. And then um, we were talking about it uh, really heavily in February and March in this group. And uh, I had mentioned something along the lines like, well, I mean, if, if worst case scenario, if I had to like close my store for some period of time, and they were like, that's not the worst case. That's, that's going to happen, you know? And uh, so I have proven to be wrong on all of my predilections of what this is going to be, but <laughs> I kind of just resigned myself that like, you know what, I'm just going to make the best decision I can for my business and for the long-term benefit of my people. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I'm, doing it with, I'm doing the best I can. And to my folks credit, like, uh, you know, they've all been very kind and generous and understanding, even in cases where I've been wrong, um, to understand that, like, I'm just trying to do what's best to protect us all for the long run. And, you know, one of the things I kept harping to our people is like, it's really important that when this is all over, that we all have a business worth coming back to. So to have the business like take on a bunch of debt because it's trying to maintain payroll or something like that, that wouldn't be good. We'd all come back to this business that now is on life support. And uh, so our business is like the goose that lays the golden egg. We've got to protect it because it provides for all of us. And they all really bought into that message and have all been just very selfless and and, and helping of one another. And I've been just supremely grateful for them and in a very trying time. And especially in the very beginning, you know, now my folks that are laid off that are getting the CARES funding plus the state unemployment funding, well, frankly, they're doing, they're doing well. Um, but in the beginning when we did all that, you know, those people took a huge cut and it was a big sacrifice. And just because in the end it turned out okay for for many of them, we can't forget the appreciation for the fact that when, man, when they jumped off that cliff, they didn't realize there was going to be, you know, a, a big bouncy house down at the bottom. <laughs> they thought they were going right in the water or the ground. I'm mixing my analogies here. Yeah. Uh, but you get what I'm saying. So I don't know if do. we have to make a perfect decision. We just have to make the best decision with our people's best interest in mind. Totally. And whatever comes will come. So Yeah. 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 There's so much that I just, I have no idea what's going to, what the end game is with this. Yeah. Um, whether we just slowly, everyone just slowly winds down to the new level of normal, or if it's um, everything just goes back to normal, we pretend like it's not going on. Just people just drop dead all of a sudden. It's, yeah. it's very, very unusual. And um, yeah, I've got I think no, I've just resigned yeah. myself that I don't know what's happening. I don't know what the future holds. I'm just going to do the best I can today and just take it each day as it comes. And- Seriously. Yeah. That's really all you can do. And, you know, it this is. could be the end of humanity. I mean, we could end up into Armageddon with people, you know, no one yep. maintaining our food supply and uh, data yep. systems and uh, utility systems and people stealing warheads. And, I mean, it could be that, but it could also mm-hmm. end up just kind of, you know, just being a thing and moving along through it. And I don't know. Yeah. So I just wake up and keep going every day, keep solving yeah. problems. Eventually, you solve enough problems, you've solved the problem. You know, and, uh, <laughs> that's, that's really my philosophy. approach. And if I die in a nuclear holocaust, then so be it. <laughs> yeah. And that's it. Is we, we really can't, um, we can't really change that, that big stuff. Yeah. You know, as mu- as much can't, as we'd yeah, like to. Yeah, you can't. 
You just, you get, just can't. can only change the things in your local exactly. sphere of influence and stuff. Exactly. So uh, we we had mentioned before that uh, you know you guys are going to be able to open soon. You're you're going to kind of delay that by about a week or so just to kind of let all the the steam out of the market and kind of you know not be one of the first ones in the in the rush. What are what kind of stuff are you working on right now? How, what have you been doing like these last couple of weeks this week? You personally, what are you working on? So I've been making masks like a fiend. Uh, these cloth masks, they're they're fitted. And I have, um, years ago, I used to quilt. And then I had a hysterectomy. And my brain just can't quilt anymore. It's the funniest thing. So um, I had tried to pick it up a couple times, and it just was pissing me off. So I'm taking all this really cool vintage quilting fabric with, like, music stuff on it. And I'm making all these masks out of it. And uh, so I've been making masks like a fiend. I've probably made about 200. Holy and God. yeah, and I've been selling them for 10 bucks each and the money's going to go to the Tucson food bank. Um, and so I've been putting that on social media um, and I've been trying to, that's just a, a very um, gratifying way that I feel like I'm actually helping people. So I've got, I've got probably about 70 masks or so at the music store. So next in the next week or so, when we start opening up, we can start saying like, you need a mask. And if you have to buy one, here's one, but you need a mask to come in. So mm -hmm. that's going to be nice to, uh, to have that infrastructure in place. Um, obviously researching the, the PPP and the EIDL and the, you know, all the CARES Act and filling out unemployment forms. Uh, that's been a lot of what I do trying to finalize my taxes that uh, kind of got put on hold for a little bit, but I know, I know. I'm like, do I have to pay? Cause I'd rather not pay. <laughs> can we just, can we write that off? Cause you know, COVID. Yeah. yeah. We'll see. We'll see what they have to say about write that. Write that on there just on your return, not paying yeah, like, because hey, COVID. So <laughs> you guys understand, so, right? Give me an idea of what your day to day used to look like. Like, you know, before all this happens, once all this is over, how do you, what, what do you normally spend your time doing in your business? It, normally, what I do is the top-level stuff. So I do um, bigger marketing campaigns. Um, the Tucson Festival of Books, we had a petting zoo there. Um, I was the one that was the one to uh, coordinate the, the implementation of that. Um, the rummage sale, uh, pushing the product, getting the product ordered, and uh, making sure that uh, the marketing is good for that. Um, the other things I work on is is management of the managers, making sure that the the the, the gist of the store is headed in the right direction. I look at um, we have Amesy. I look at daily manage report every single day, even on vacation, even on my phone, like wherever I am, I look at it every day, and I see stuff in the matrix that nobody else sees. I look at it and go, "Wow, why that get sold below margin? And what's up with this? Wow, we sold that. I thought that we sold, we lost that." Now it's back. What's going on with that? Um, so I see things that other people don't. And so I, I watch that on a high level stuff. And um, that's always been helpful because it keeps everybody on their toes a little bit. They think mm -hmm. I'm some kind of magician or something, but I don't know. Maybe I'm just Neo. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> no, I'm not Neo. Um, so yeah, that's that was the most day-to-day -day stuff. Uh, help with school bids, help with school deliveries. Uh, special projects. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, let's yeah. get a little bigger picture here because uh, I w definitely want to hear your take about the thinking about our industry. Tell me what's right about it. What's some of your favorite parts of our industry? Man, we help little kids play instruments. 
That's like the best. This little kid comes in and they're like, I've always wanted to play trumpet. And I tried it once and I couldn't get a sound. And I'm like, here, let's do it. And I like walk them through the embouchure and like get them started and get them to make a note. I'm like, you did it. And they're like, and you could just see like this, like light bulb go on and like all these cogs like fall into place. And I'm like, yeah. All right, my work here is done. And, and then it's all on them. But without that really good, positive first exp- experience, people get turned off from that. Yeah. You order a blue trumpet from Amazon and it's 99 bucks and you try to play it and you don't know what to do and you're really stuck and the valves don't work. I mean, all of that stuff will, will discourage a young person because they want, they want instant success. That's just how things work. And if they aren't getting any success, then they kind of lose lose track of what they wanted to do. They go, never mind. It was not me. They don't assume it's the instrument or the situation. They assume it's them. Yeah. And so they quit. And so to minimize that as best as possible is awesome. And so we we have just little kids come in and they want to try instruments. And man, we all just light up. And that's just like the best part of the industry is turning yeah. people on to instruments and and it's about it's about fulfilling a dream honestly someone comes in and says i want a guitar you're fulfilling a dream for them and it's they're never going to probably be eddie van halen or some crazy person on guitar but they're going to fulfill that dream that day and they're going to go home and they're going to feel great and and they may practice and they may not they may not but it's really amazing to help them with that yeah it is and yeah. And so to work with them to figure out like what it is they want, what's the best fit for their needs. I mean, whether it's like a parlor guitar or something a little smaller or something really big, is there a big guy, whatever. Um, and to come at it in our store, we come at it from a customer's point of view. Like what do they really need? What do, what really serves them well? And a thousand dollar guitar when you're just starting probably doesn't, unless it's something you want to put on your wall and you've always wanted, then it does. Um, mm-hmm. So we try to not push things based on, what the dollar amount is we base it on what what their needs are um which is very satisfying i don't ever feel guilty about selling somebody something um Mm -hmm. yeah it's a good thing to do so so that's what's really great with the industry is it's helping it's helping people fulfill their dreams not many industries where you can do that no there isn't there isn't you know the one thing that uh i i agree with all that i think the one thing and you and you you're you back this up a little bit but when it comes to sales you know, selling product and salesmanship. Um, you know, I don't really, I don't think it's our uh, prerogative to really push product. You know, our our goal is to help customers get the product that they want. And mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, I sold a, a retired uh, gentleman his first guitar, and it was the seven thousand dollar build to order Taylor. And um, I think I couldn't play a lick, and I didn't. You know, there was nothing on me. I was like telling him like you've got to get this. If you get this guitar, you'll be so right, great. Right. So, no, I don't. It's what he wanted. And right, right, right. it's really more about what the customer wants and what their goals and objectives are. And, and, uh, you know, we teach our salespeople that I remember when we first started really teaching this stuff, you know, you, we used to, especially like during like Christmas season, or whatever, we'd have our, you know, beginning guitar packs and stuff. And then a customer would come in and they want to buy a guitar as a gift for someone. We'd recommend these low level guitars and that's the way it would go. And we started working with our people and like, hey, just treat that Christmas buyer like any other buyer. Kind of give them the lay of the land. Like, you know, this this is the price point for this. This is the price point for that. This is the price point for that. Which would you like to see? 
And uh, first customer he tries it with, like they ended up walking out with like a, a very nice mid-price guitar. I think it was about a $1,200 guitar, which for us is a mid-price guitar. And, um, you know, whereas in the past, he would have sold them a, a $200 guitar. And mm -hmm. uh, it's not about the salesmanship of trying to get people to buy more expensive stuff. It's about us not pushing to the customer. Well, you sh you're a beginner. You should buy this. Exactly. But rather like, hey, what, what would make you happy? What is it that you like? If someone wants exactly. to have a pool, we don't have to say, well, if you want a, a swimming pool, the first thing you should do is just get a blow up above ground pool. And if you like that, right. then you can get a nicer above ground pool. Right. If you like that, then you can look at an in-ground pool. It's like, no, shit, if you got the money and you want a big in-ground pool, do it. Like, <laughs> exactly. Totally. Absolutely. Want, you know? Yeah. Right. And, and I right, think right. If, in, if, in, if in retail, if we took more of that approach, not that I'm here to guide you to pick the product I think is best for you, but like, I'm just here to make sure you get the product you like and that you're happy with. Like, I, what do I care if you get the, you know, if you have a $120,000 pool and you can't swim, like it, uh, that's, you know, that's correct. That's, it's not my job to vet all that stuff. And, you know? and ultimately if you sell the person who can't swim a, a giant pool, but they really wanted it, then you've done exactly what you're supposed to do, which is making them happy and solving that's their needs. Exactly um, right. Yeah. That's great. So what's wrong with our industry? If you could change things, what would you change? What's wrong with our industry? There are some things about it that are not very flat or fair that are stacked against certain retailers or towards certain retailers. All right, elaborate. Um Yeah, well, you know, there's there's certain buy-ins and certain certain levels and certain uh, requirements, and sometimes you hear that those requirements aren't always needed. Uh, sometimes they're required. Um, there's a certain level of um, of snobbiness. Um, I'll, I'll talk about Yamaha because I talked about them at the beginning when we first opened up. Um, they wouldn't give us the time of day. They were flat out like rude to us. Now this was in 99. Uh, so it was clearly 20 years ago. Uh, but the philosophy was really very um, not encouraging. It was very mm -hmm. not open to a new retailer. Uh, we were because we started from scratch. We didn't buy this business from anyone or get it from grandma or anything like that. We started it. There was no instrumental music center, and then there was, um, and it was difficult, very difficult to be taken seriously, and even um, even to be allowed to have a conversation with people. And there's still some vendors that we we try to talk to and they're just like, never mind. Yeah, whatever. You know, it can't take you guys seriously. I'm like, all right, well, good luck then. <laughs> Enjoy. <Yeah. laughs> um, so I don't take it as personally anymore. Um, but there are some things that uh, the big guys definitely want to continue to do business with the big guys. There are, uh, there's not a lot of advantage seen in having smaller dealers that do similar things. Um, I was talking to a guitar manufacturer uh, who was interested in doing um, some guitars. It's one of the big, big three, two, big two. I don't know. Big, one of the big ones. And they wanted to open instead of a store, like a signature store, have like another level of store that has, that's for like a band and orchestra store. That's going to have some guitars, but certainly not like the whole row of guitars. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and stuff like that, it was encouraging to hear that they were willing to look at their business and see how it is that they could get that brand into a store that isn't traditionally a guitar a guitar store. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's encouraging. But a lot of times I just hear no, 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 no. Which I guess, you know, you fight on the door, bang on the door long enough and you just kind of give up and like, well, I guess maybe later. So, um, yeah, the big guys are definitely stacked towards the big guys. So there's the big chains that they definitely get priority. Um, I worry that if one of the big chains goes out that's not doing really well, doing very well historically, um, that that's going to have a huge ripple effect like when um, Brooke Mays went out of business. Mm-hmm. Brooke Mays went out of business. All these new, um, uh, all these new price lists came out because all of these vendors had to recoup that money. Um, all of the these new credit um, uh, credit documents had to go out because they had to protect themselves from what they le- were left open by Brooke Mays, mm-hmm. and um, it really it screwed the whole rest of the industry when when Billy went out, and then uh, we all just kind of dealt with it. You know, mm-hmm. if Guitar Center goes out, it's going to suck this industry, and we've all we're all going to pay the price. But we really didn't need to. I mean, if if the vendors had just been more careful, we wouldn't need to. And they just keep believing the the good after bad with the stories. Meanwhile, there's other smaller retailers that are like, "Hey, you can open me up," and they're like, "No, no, no, we have a Guitar Center in your town, so we're good." Um, it's like putting all your eggs in that one basket. And it's, um, it's sad to see. It's, I understand it's less work to do business with one customer, but they're also, um, they're also banking on that one customer doing really great for the end of time. Yeah. yeah. I, think it's, it's, I think it's a combination of that. I mean, it certainly is more efficient and easier for them. Uh, I think they tend to forget the bad times and remember the good times. And, you know, and I think that helps. I think the other side of it is um, having worked on the wholesale side for a couple of years, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that start music stores that just don't know their head from a hole in the ground. And, uh, you know, they start this business, they don't even know what they don't know yet. And then they, you know, walk up uh, to someone like Yamaha and say, hey, we're here. Uh, you know, how do we buy your products? You know, it's like, right. that's, you don't even know that that's not how this works. You know, like there's, right. there's a whole landscape of things for you to learn oh, uh, yeah. before you're ready for this. And you're going to have to prove that you can like, grit through and sustain your business long enough to even be uh, considered for that. So I kind of get it on their side, but I also totally, I mean, I've got to be, I I was uh, talking to our regional Yamaha rep the other day telling them I've got to be one of the largest school music dealers in the country. That's not a Yamaha dealer. Like I'm still not a Yamaha dealer. Like against uh, smaller retailers and people not knowing what they don't know. And they don't know what they don't know. And even um, I I love what uh, Nam YP is doing with their mentorship program. That's really great. And that's going to yep. help younger retailers come in and learn what they don't know. Um, and even what SWIM is doing to try to involve more women in the industry um, at the, the starter level so that they can bring them up and teach them all kinds of stuff. Those are both super helpful ways of coming in because it is, it's daunting. And yeah. um, this industry is not um, patient or polite or um, welcoming for the most part. They're pretty much, um, like every industry, a uh, bunch of dogs and cats, and they're they're out to be scrappy and get what they get. And they don't have a lot of time to like take someone under their wing and go like, "Here, let me show you how it goes." Um, yeah, it is what it is. 
I bet a lot of industries are that way. You know, totally. I mean, <clears throat> maybe if you're buying into like a franchise, maybe the franchise owner is set up for that. But right. in general, I think most of it is you got to kind of uh, figure it out on your own. And I do think it's great that NAM is trying to put more of these things together to, to help develop people. And, and, and frankly, NAM has always done a great job of providing educational content. Now, Many of the people who go to NAM do a real shit job of taking advantage of that education they can get. You know, how many people go to NAM that never set foot in an idea center or any of the educational sessions, or maybe they catch one or two, but they spend all their time at the bar or at, on the show floor. And I always felt really, you know, early on getting the product was really never my problem. It was, you know, upgrading what was up here <laughs> that was more yeah. necessary. And, yeah. uh, because, you know, anyone can buy a product. That's not that hard. That doesn't require much skill. It just requires some ability for money, and that's it. Uh, but learning how to run your business better, that's that's much more challenging. You know, what you're saying about the big chains is going to be interesting, too, because rumor has it, yet again, there's, uh, you know, some of our manufacturers are deeply uh, in with, uh, you know, music and arts and Guitar Center, and there's some rumor about uh, Guitar Center and Music and Arts not being current on some of their bills. I don't know how true this is, but, you know, there's some rumor that uh, some of these manufacturers are going to get stuck holding the ball again, even if they don't necessarily, uh, you know, if, if Guitar Center doesn't necessarily uh, file for bankruptcy or anything like that, they still just aren't paying, you know, paying their suppliers is what I've heard. So uh, that's going to create... Um, a challenge for our suppliers and then ultimately for us because we're often the ones essentially left holding the bag so right yeah we get all of the uh the responsibility and none of the the perks yeah <laughs> yeah that's definitely something that's wrong with our industry <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's me, pretty um, yeah could be better tell me who's someone in our industry that you admire oh man zach phillips is awesome if i could be zach phillips for a day i think my day would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he does. He's a great guy, and he does a really good job. He he like oozes positivity in a way that um, that I don't know anyone else does. He encourages everybody at all levels. Um, he is always encouraging. He never has a, a bad thing to say about anybody. He's just fantastic. Yeah. So so yeah, that's who comes to mind. <laughs> Got to add him to my podcast list for sure. oh, yeah He'd yeah be great. he He'd is be great, great. <laughs> so uh and he's i mean gosh he's just such a genuine he's one of those people that just makes you feel like uh you're the one of the most special smart people that he knows you know he just yeah. you know it's one of those people that just you walk away from him feeling like you know you're, you're a couple inches taller and you got a little spring in your step you know he's, he's very inclusive with his um just his his sphere i don't know it's hard to describe yeah it is. Yeah. Tell me where you get some of your best ideas for your business. Oh, I love taking ideas from other music retailers. Um, we did a, a thing called the Brassapalooza a couple of years ago where we did a Facebook um, contest. But it started even, it started out like way down on the list. Um, I, I took an idea from Summer Hayes that they had had at one of the top 100 dealer awards that I love. I love those top 100 dealer awards because you get to hear everybody's good, cool ideas. Uh, and he had done like a, a giveaway, a Facebook giveaway of, of something. And it was a contest on Facebook. I was like, oh, well, that's kind of interesting. 
And so I took that kernel and then there was a company here in Tucson that was giving away a pallet of paper and like everyone was going apeshit over this pallet of paper. I'm like, that's stupid. Like we should give away like a drum line or like, I don't know, a whole brass section. And so me and my husband were digging through the B-stock selection at Eastman in Pomona and there was tubas and this and that, and they were all super cheap and they all needed work. I'm like, what if we gave away a tuba? Mike's like, what if we gave away like whole brass section? I'm like, oh. So we looked at, at, and I contacted my vendors and I said, do you have any B stock that you can send me for this thing? I said, you know, Eastman's already on board and Yamaha, do you want to be on board? And, you know, Con Selmer, do you want to be on board? And Jupiter, do you want to be on board? So I was able to get like, like a whole brass section. And then we gave it away on Facebook and it turned out to be, um, super fraudulent and there was people that were buying votes and it ended up being we my husband and I spun it really great but ultimately it was a bit of a shit show because um one of the band parents just went out and bought a bunch of votes and she won yeah it really sucked really sucked and I didn't want to punish those kids because they had tried really hard so what we did is when it was obvious that there was cheating going on because we were seeing people on the Facebook page log in like the page, log off, and then like delete their account. And all of them had the same profile picture. I was like, oh, this is so cheeseball. Yeah. So what we ended up doing is in the morning that that was supposed to close, I contacted um, all of the vendors and I'm like, okay, I can pull together another tuba. If you could pull together, can you give me another trip to Consumer Institute? And he's like, yeah, actually I just had a cancellation this morning. So we were able to give like a second place prize to the person who was this runner up that was almost as good as the first place prize. So then like IMC was like the winner. We would, we won like the world because if we had, if we had called out shenanigans and proved that they had, had, had um, cheated, even though it was factually correct, there was no way to spin that to be a positive thing in any way. Yeah. It would bet it would have been shitty. So we were able to double down and do a first and second prize that was just amazing. But a lot of the the seeds of that contest and that promotion were gotten from like other places. Right. You know, it was from Chris Barron's and it was from this company away paper. Um, I went to a pet smart the other day or not the other day, but a couple years ago and they had, it was like bird months and pet smart. Like birds are stupid. I really hate birds. They're just like the dumbest animal. Not want to keep them in cages. But I have tarantulas at my house. Did you get to see them when you were here? Uh, tarantulas. I've seen them on Facebook. I don't remember if I. I can't remember if I saw it when I came over yeah. or not. Yeah, they were there. We've had it the whole time we've here. Anyways, uh, yeah, maybe. I've got a memory like Swiss cheese, though. I don't remember any of it. Yeah. So. It was all just a blur. Uh, so we have tarantulas, and I'm like, I wonder when they're going to have tarantula month here at PetSmart. You know? And then I started thinking about PetSmart and their monthly specials. So then we started having just a monthly special of like 15% off all guitars or sheet music or you know, free month of rent or what have you. And it, ha- it helps keep something to talk about, something to advertise. Um, mm-hmm. Otherwise, the, the year just kind of like, you've got the spike of rental season, back to school season, and then Christmas, and then that was it. Um, yeah, we, the, our accountant, uh, Dan, um, Daniel, Fried- Daniel Job and Alan Friedman, um, a couple years ago, my oh man, a number of years ago, probably 10, 
we talked about inventory and how old inventory has already cost you its initial investment and it's just sitting there and it's keeping you from buying the cool thing because it's still sitting there holding a spot that mm -hmm. if you could at least get your cost out of that, you're way ahead of the game. And in fact, Alan's thing was sell it at any price. Just get it out of your store. If you donate it, if you put it in the parking lot and let someone beat the shit out of it, whatever you do to it, it's going to be better than letting it sit in your store forever. So that sort of like freedom was amazing for setting up our rummage sales because I'll do an aging report on Amesy and I'll see anything that's had a birthday or two and I'll just go around and mark it down. Um, and the first markdown I usually do um, like 30% off the price. And then the second markdown I'll do it like employee discount, like cost plus 10, like really mark it down. And then at the end, if it's still there after three rummage sales, it's like, make me an offer. I don't even care. This has to leave today, you know, and I'll just, I'll just sell it to get it out um, and get it out of the store or I'll give it to a school or I'll raffle it off or what have you. But that rummage sale, it became a way of getting rid of old inventory. And then after a while, we started keeping um, scratch and dent stuff. So if a vendor would send a keyboard and the keyboard was broken on arrival, they don't want it back. Um, so a lot of times they'll just say like, I just keep it. We'll just write it off. I'm like, okay. And so we just stick it in this pile of crap of just like broken stuff. People were eating that up. Um, and then we would have music stores call us and say, hey, we're going out of business or hey, we went out of business 20 years ago and we've got a storage shed full of stuff. Do you want to buy it? And we'll go in and we've bought, we've bought the assets of like four, maybe six other music stores that have gone out of business over the years. Um, some of them were landlord liquidations and some of them were, um, were out of the back of someone's storage unit. Mm -hmm. So we've done that a couple of times. So all of that stuff ends up in the rummage sale. Um, we haven't had one of those in a while, which is surprising, but yeah. And so after a while, we kind of ran out of stuff to sell. So then I would go to my vendors and I'd say, hey, I've got the rummage sale coming up. I'm looking for price points at, you know, X, Y, Z. And there are, um, they have B stock lists. They have scratch and dent lists. And mm -hmm. so, or liquidation things. So when you contact your vendor and say, hey, what do you have, you know, that I can sell for like 10 bucks, um, then you just get, you get all kinds of stuff out of the woodwork. Um, yeah. So we do, we do like $15 ukuleles with um, Mahalo. I think our cost, it costs like 15 bucks and sell them for 20. Um, then we do, um, you know, tuners. We've done tuners direct from China, purchase them direct from China, and, or we've done them through Diodario. They've got a great tuner that's pretty inexpensive. Um, and then just so like, so then we created this dollar menu that looks like a cheesy McDonald's dollar menu with like $1, $15. And we just have like special prices on all of this. So then we've had to chum the waters for our rummage sale because we have less that's old and crappy. We've got more that's just new and fresh. So we've had to buy stuff directly for like the dollar menu. And then the, um, for the, for the actual serialized inventory what i'll do uh and i took this idea from gail beacock because they had a sale with serialized list and it had an actual serial number and like what was wrong with the instrument or how old it was or what its status was i was like oh that's brilliant so that serialized list i do on excel and i'll send that out um in in coordination with the rummage sale and we'll sell the first day that rummage sale list, that serialized list is out, we'll sell $50,000 in instruments. It's crazy. We just get calls like, 
hey, hold that for me. Here's my credit card. Um, yeah. And a, some of it is rental stock that I'm like, meh, I'll just put a couple of these on here. Some of it's stuff that we just got in. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's shop-worn. We'll just put that on the rubbish sale list. Um, yeah. Some of it has is B stock. Some of it's brand new that just hasn't moved in years. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's a tremendous great. event. And I'm looking right now to see you've uh, presented about your rummage sale uh, at uh, the NAM I, uh, Idea Center sessions. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to see if they have any of those that are uh, recorded. They do have three of yours. Um, and one of them, maybe it's creating custom custom promotions to rock your bottom line. Yeah, that's in there. Okay. Because we so, created it from scratch. And and that's really a great way of thinking about things is the custom promotion thing. I wanted to, when I gave that presentation, I really wanted everyone to understand the origin story of all of these stupid things that I come up with. Because if people are empowered to take an idea of, you know, a sticker or a, a concept or whatever it is, take something and then morph it into something that fits for your particular market that wins. Yeah. It's awesome. And you're not, you're not competing with a national chain on the same promotion. You're not waiting for the vendor to give you a better price. You're not waiting for the vendor for anything. You're doing it yourself. And it's a great way of generating extra money. Money's good. And generating buzz in the industry and generating buzz in your town. Like, I couldn't believe the the Brassapalooza thing that we did with all the cheating aside, we went from like 150 Facebook likes to like 9,000. Actually it went to like 12,000 and then it went down to nine and we're still at nine. Yeah. Those people are still with us. And so when we communicate, we communicate to a much bigger audience than I could ever hope to. Uh, It's fantastic. So doing something is Definitely better than doing nothing, unless of course you're, you know, getting ready to retire and you're winding your 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 business down. But to be able to um, to spark something is so fun and it's so satisfying. And even if it doesn't work, like everything fails, it's terrible. You've learned something about your yeah. market or yourself or your abilities or what have you. you you're always going to learn something. Yeah, you had said that, and during one of the your idea center sessions that I was that I went to, that was so great because you were just like, you know what, just make a plan and do the plan, and uh, if if it's good, great. If it's not, you'll kind of learn something from it, but just do it. Like, don't try to worry right. about it being perfect or whatever. Just make a plan and go do it. And right. uh, you know, I think so many times we can all get sort of stuck in like, well, I, I want this to be great, like you know. Leslie does this and she does a $50,000 weekend selling, you know, broken printers and office furniture. Like I want it to be great like that. And you can get so stuck into that versus, versus thinking like, you know what, I'm just going to jump into this thing and start. And I may start with doing a couple thousand bucks and, and then I'll go from there. But like uh, just beginning and we, we uh, uh, took your playbook on the rummage sale and ran that last That's year. So great. great success for us. Like we didn't do 50 grand, but you know, we did, we did, we were in the, uh, uh, and the five figures and, and uh, uh, for the fir- first one for us to do it, we were very happy with that result. That's really great. Uh, we're definitely going to do it again. Uh, for us, you do it twice a year. Normally we're going to do it annually with the rummage sale. And then we're doing a clearance sale on the other side of the year. So the first part of the year, we that's do right. like a clearance sale sale. That's all of our stores. And then at, in the fall, we're doing this rummage sale where it all comes down to our warehouse. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, for us, I feel like that's going to be a nice little 
one-two punch, and it was profitable. And yeah, we sold some crap. We sold we sold stuff we couldn't give away before. Exactly. Uh, we sold some good stuff, but uh, and and all in all, like some stuff went at a loss. Uh, yeah. But at the end of the day, we moved a bunch of gear that we couldn't have. We weren't able to move otherwise, and we ultimately even made a profit, even though some things went at a huge, huge loss. Um, sure. But it created, you know, for the, and those were items that I was like, man, I just don't want to see that anymore. Like every time I see that, I'm reminded of this buying mistake that we made four years ago. Like, right, that right. thing needs to go. You know, right. we've tried it. Seriously, at, we had these guitars that we had them at seventy percent off in our oh, stores, gosh. and they wouldn't <laughs> sell. And so finally, I was like, yeah, at any price, get it out of here. And yeah. uh, they did finally all go. And, you know, it wasn't as painful when they left as I thought, because I was just glad to never have to see them again. You know? <laughs> totally. Exactly. You know, to be a buyer is such a stressful thing because you want to make the right decision and you want to be like, you don't want to make a bad decision. But having right. the rummage sale as a, as a thing that you do every year and knowing that you can at least get something out of it, then you get something out of it and don't beat yourself up and you just move on. You just keep it, keep it going. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes things work out well in your store and sometimes you make a bad buying choice. So yeah. to get it out of your store at any price, especially after four years, you're like, see, yeah, yeah. you're not going to dust, does it dust too. you like, again. <laughs> yeah. Everyone makes bad buys. You know, you just, there's no way to make perfect buys all the time. You know, if, sure. if you're doing that, you're buying too conservatively. And, uh, you know, you've, you're going to take some chances here and there. And some of those are going to be, you're going to hit some home runs, you're going to hit some singles, and then you're also going to strike out a couple times. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we do some of our bad buys, and they're not bad buys, they're just bad buys for us. Um, we put them on Reverb or eBay. Yep. Um, we, we sell stuff on that as well. And that's a great way of getting a bigger market for yep. that, widget, that widget. Especially for yeah. stuff that are good products that just haven't find a, found a, a, a home in your store. And yep. uh put them on those third party sites, all of a sudden you've got a bigger marketplace to look at. And totally, uh, but the, the, there'll still be things that won't sell there. <laughs> and the rummage sale is great for that. Yeah, so. it is. Yeah, it is. And then it starts to develop its own buzz. We have a, um, we have a, a, what is it? Kiss and cry screen or whatever, where it's got like our, a hashtag on it. It's like IMC rummage sale. Um, and so you can go and pose with your weird buy that you just did, you know, in front of our screen, I, you know, it's just, it gets, you start going down that cheesy thing with some of this, but everyone just eats it up. Yeah. Another, another thing we do at the rummage sale is uh, we have live bands all day. So we've got, um, we invite the teachers that teach at our store to bring their students. Um, you have to have uh, about a half an hour's worth of music. And then we give them like a, I don't know, $50 store credit or something like that. So it's just, it, it's just store credit. So yeah. yeah. You, you were telling me too, you also handle like rummage sale bucks, you know, where people yeah. can basically get like, essentially store credit for that, for that weekend uh, we do. to come spend at, at the rummage sale and, and people who perform at it can get it. You also yep. kind of will seed the market of like giving yep. people to rummage sale bucks so that they'll come because yep. they'll think, well, I've got this five or $10 I can spend. And then, <clears throat> you know, they'll find fall in love with something that's 50 or a hundred dollars. And right. End up right, right. So. Yeah. I put, uh, we do it all on Craigslist too. So all of these things go on Craigslist because those are people looking for a bargain. Yeah. And so to seed the market and try to, we do the, the coupon out on Craigslist. Here's 10 bucks. Come in and spend 10 bucks worth of stuff. No, no strings attached. Don't even yeah. care. Um, and if they want to work really hard and come every day and spend their 10 bucks, all right, whatever. But nine times out of 10, they end up buying something that's, that's more than 10. They enjoy the, the time. The or, great or thing fine. about this rummage sale idea is, you know, we were talking earlier in our discussion about how, you know, you're like the, the, 
in your marketplace, you're more of the target and, and less of like the flea market or whatever. Um, but, you know, we all have customers uh, that like a deal and everybody, every customer likes a deal, but every business will have some customers and every market definitely has some customers that are deal customers. And yeah. some businesses are, you know, set up to serve those and, and you can do pretty well, you know, just getting that person who's looking for a bargain. Uh, but all of us, even our, you know, those that are a little more of scale will have product that has, you know, kind of reached its end of its retail life with us, whatever. And there's always people out there looking for a bargain. Mm -hmm. So even if you're, you know, a nicer retailer, uh, you know, a little more upscale, you know, doing these kinds of uh, clearance sale, rummage sale, uh, warehouse sale, whatever it is, can be a great way to move that product. And that bargain customer is still an important customer for, for our stores. Yeah. It may yes. not be who we cater to year round, but it's someone that's important Correct. to us at, at certain times. Right, right, right. Yeah. So last couple of questions for you here. Tell me about a negative situation that you experienced in your business that ultimately ended up having a positive effect, but you wouldn't want to repeat it again. Oh. Um. I don't know if it ultimately had a positive effect. I pissed off a purchasing agent and that was bad. I, uh, it was a, it was bond money and bond money is always spent different than like purchase order money. So when a school is opening up and it's a brand new school, at least in Arizona and it's a bond, it's funded by bond money. And it's amazing. Cause you just send them like an estimate of like, okay, so you've got this, like you need a bunch of stuff here. Here's just an estimate. So, Cause that's usually how it starts out. Next thing I know, we're getting POs based on these estimates. So opening a new school is like the best thing ever in Arizona, if you can get on that list and help them out. So we found there was this new school opening and the band director was just screwing up everything. And she was really late to the party and she had been told to get all the information together. And I said, I said, look, you know, all this money has been spent. It's been spent on other things other than music. And so now we just have to like move forward. Sorry, this money got spent badly. It got spent not on music. It got spent on flooring. So now we have to rough, you know, deal with what we have. So because I said that the money got spent badly, that pissed off the purchasing agent. And man, I really wish I hadn't said that. <laughs> <laughs> it did turn out to be okay in the end because people have, have law, have, don't have great memories. Uh, and they actually attributed my comment to another vendor, which was hilarious, but then they fixed it. Uh, so, so yeah, sometimes uh, speaking your mind doesn't always go well. And I learned there's that There's a time that and a day. place for that, right? Yeah. There sometimes is. There's a place for candor, but sometimes there's... Uh, and I should have, yeah, I should have had that conversation over a beer with the band director about like, yeah, this got spent badly, and now we're just going to get through it. But it got said in front of the purchasing person, and she did. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 So yeah, uh, vendors coming to town, they always, they tend to not last very long here in Tucson. Um, we've had some music and arts move to certain sections of Tucson and then not do well. Um, yeah. So it ends up being okay, but it's kind of a wash. Um, didn't end up better. Yeah. I don't know. This whole COVID thing might be a really interesting thing to watch because I think, I think ultimately Things are going to be different. Mm -hmm. Remember last year, and even the last couple of years, these these TED Talk people would get up and they would talk about disruption 
and you got to think about disruption and and you're like yeah but it's fake disruption this is all like in your head disruption talk about the big freaking disruption this yeah. is the, the disruption and so all of that future thinking and that like creative thinking that you were trying to do in the in the 2010s now we can do it now for real like this is really the disruption and so what this is going to end up being is going to be really interesting um you know whether the um supply chains are more dictated by the customer or by the vendors or by the market or by the government whether you know people live or die or whether their businesses live or die it's a big disruption and watching yeah. what what changes is going to be really great a quick story um that to just illustrate this is that um united pictures i think that's who it is came out with this throwaway movie trolls number two and they were all excited because trolls number two instead of going to theaters because it was right in the middle of the disruption went straight to the video and you could just buy it on Amazon for 15 bucks or whatever, a little bit more than you would normally pay for a video. But, you know, it's a new release. And it, they sold, like, gangbusters, so many. And United was like, hey, this is kind of cool. Maybe next time we'll just go straight, we'll do this. We'll go to, to, to movie theater houses, and we'll go straight to video. And AMC, who's the movie theater house, was like, no, you can't do that. And so they came out and said they're not going to carry any more of Universal Pictures movies, like, ever again. So they're having this huge fight over supply chain and how things are going. And just just because movie theaters have always gone, the movies have always gone to movie theaters and then to disc and then to video or to to streaming, who's to say that that's what's going to happen from now on? because of this disruption mm-hmm. you know you see it you see a new path that had never really existed or you didn't think it could happen and now it kind of can because it has like been such a hard reset so seeing that sort of stuff not just what serves those companies the popcorn companies and the skittles companies but what actually serves the consumer it's going to be interesting yeah i i know that when i you know, in future episodes of this podcast next year and the following years, when I ask that question, I know this time period is going to come up for people. Probably. You know? Yeah. And um, you, you, you were kind of mentioning, you know, just even as early as this year reminds me of there's a great YouTube video that if, if folks haven't seen it, they need to go see it. But, uh, the uh, gal's name is Julie Nolke. Nolke is N-O-L-K-E. And the video is explaining the pandemic to my past self. Oh, it is, Super funny. Isn't it funny? And like I see one that. of the lines from the beginning of it is she as her her past self is saying like because her past self is like from January of January. you know, yeah. and her future self is like from later this year, and so her past self says like, well, uh, I would imagine those Australian wildfire wildfires were like a defining moment of 2020, and her, her future self is like, oh yeah, yeah. You'd think so, but no. <laughs> and when she said that, I was like, oh, my God, I forgot all about the wildfires. Seriously. Yeah, she's so but, funny. She's like, get that dog. Go get the dog because yeah, walks yeah. are going to be like a big thing. <laughs> well, you know, I don't have time for dogs. I have a travel and a job. It's like, <laughs> yeah, anyway, I don't want to spoil it for anyone else. Go go, go watch the video if you haven't seen it. it it's is, totally it's worth really it. good. It, just a plug for her. She's hysterical. She's got a whole bunch of these short videos, and they're all just really, really funny. So That's awesome. Uh, Anyway, yeah, if you haven't seen it, you owe it to yourself to go see this because it's, it's yeah. definitely hysterical. So, okay. So last question then is 
If you could send a message to yourself 10 years ago to the Leslie from 2010, what would you say? Just keep doing it. Just do it. Just go to do the stuff. I, I don't think I would have done anything dramatically different. Um, the, the arc of the store has been, has been very good. And the, um, the stuff that I've done to push it forward or to market it or to get revenue grow has all been like on a really, I thought a good path. Like I would not have deviated from that path very much. Um, there's a couple of things that I took real seriously that I shouldn't have, that it wouldn't matter, but you know, probably taught me something in the middle. So, so yeah, my, my past self, I would just go like two thumbs up. Keep at it. Yeah. Yeah. Buy more toilet paper, buy stock in Amazon. That's what I would say. <laughs> <laughs> Zoom. <laughs> seriously. <laughs> and Netflix. Yeah, 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 seriously. All that stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's uh you just don't it's hard to second guess because even even the things that didn't work out well were lessons that needed to be pushed yeah. out. Yeah. What message do you want to send to the you ten years in the future? Wow. Um, I don't know if I make it 10 years in the future, then it all worked out. Okay. Good job. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> you are living in the moment. That's I for sure. It's the strangest. Like you've well, got this blend of like living in the moment, but then you also have like this huge worry about things that might happen. I totally do. I totally do. Because, because there is a right path. There's a path that is the correct one that has the least amount of worry or struggle or that. And so you hope to pick a right path. There's well, many, you know, in my, in my head, I see like this golden path that I just have to go down. And, um, and I just, I want to try to do it to the best that I can do it. And I know that there is a uh, mathematically correct best path. And uh, with the correct data, I feel like I should be able to pick that. So that's, that's the struggle. The struggle is, is the data and knowing, knowing what I'm seeing, you know, as I'm, I'm struggling with my PPP loan and do I pay it out? Just even though people aren't working, do I not? Do I take the 1%? Do I try to just use it for, uh, for lease over the next three years as we all struggle with this? Cause that actually could be a thing. Um, I don't know. And I know that there is a right answer, but I've got to figure out which one it is. So, yeah. You'd only know the right answer if you know the future. And when you don't know the future, you can't know it. And right. I, I think that, I think your, your thought about that uh, has a nice correlation to what you would tell yourself from 10 years ago. You know, you have made good decisions all along the way and you're right. going to make good decisions now and you haven't made perfect decisions, uh, no. but it's okay. You, even knowing all that, you wouldn't change anything. So no. you'll make a good decision with this. I think, you know, with, there's a lot of options there. I think those are all good options. I don't think there's any of them that are, you know, really terrible. Uh, and, you know, you'll do it, move forward in the grand scheme of things. It won't be that big of a deal. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing that has the choice led... you made won't be a big deal is what, what I meant to say. Not, not the totally. current era won't be a big deal, but like you'll make right. a choice. You look back on it and go, you know what? There may have been one that was slightly better, whatever, but th this was a good choice and it worked out fine. Right, right, right. And as I've aged, I have put more time between my, you know, the, you know, having to make a decision and the decision. I've, I've tried to, to give myself more time with that mm -hmm. so that I'm not under the gun, that I don't have to make a decision right away. So we got the PPP loan about a week ago, and I still haven't decided what to do with it. It's just hanging out there. 
I'm not in a huge hurry because I'm trying to be just, I feel like the right answer will come. So as I've aged, I have rushed less into um, a decision. I've tried to tried to rush into curiosity rather than rush to judgment. Right. So I've been to, I've really tried to sit with it and the right answer will come. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I'm glad that we finally got to do it. And yeah. uh, there's a lot of stuff that you shared today that I think is going to be really useful for people. And cool. if nothing else, if, if anyone's only takeaway is, hey, make a plan, do the plan. Like if, if you, you'll take that out of this thing, that's going to make huge, huge impact uh, for the good towards their business. So. Yeah, some of the retail stuff, or the, the marketing stuff, people just get so stuck in, in making a wrong decision. And, you know, what's the worst that can happen? I mean, yeah. honestly, worst that can happen is that it just nothing happens. So then you've just wasted your time. And you've learned and a lesson. Totally. You got something out of it. Exactly. You know. Right, yeah. right, right. And, uh, and th there's just a lot of uh, reticence to, to jump into that. Um, and so I tell people, other retailers, if, something, if, if you see a marketing effort that grabs you the right way, you should, you should question it. You should go, oh, why does it grab me the right way? What about it is good? Um, my daughter, she's 16, so now she's starting to get all these things for colleges. And, oh, my gosh, the stuff from colleges wildly varies from just, like, the most boring thing to mm -hmm. like an interactive, yeah. So this one college, I don't even remember where it was, but it was this map. You like opened it up and it folded out into this map and it talked about like all the different paths you could go in this college and different things and stop offs. And it was done like a, like a flow chart or a map. And I was like, oh, this is really interesting. Whereas some of the other ones are like, um, you know, it's just a letter. Like we invite you to apply to our college. We're good people. Thank you for your time. Like it's not compelling at all. Right. So I showed her, I'm like, this is good marketing and this is really bad marketing. And so we talked about each one. And as a retailer, if you do that, if you see good marketing, if you go like, okay, why, why is this good marketing? And try to pick it apart about what gelled with you and what resonated with you. And then you take those things that resonated with you and you apply it to your business. Boom. You're halfway yeah. there. Yeah. And yeah. you're bombarded with marketing every day and you can go like, Oh yeah, I love, you know, the Coke bear. Well, do we need a mascot? Okay. Maybe we do need a mascot. Who's going to be the mascot. I don't know. I mean, yeah. freaking, freaking Kane's chicken is built on the stupid dog named Kane. Right. Like, and, like it's and a, delicious chicken. I mean, it's, it's you really have good that. chicken. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> Best drive through chicken you can get. <laughs> so. My family has gotten into buying like 50 pieces at a time and just filling the fridge. I don't I know. Yeah. It lasts for it about may a have week. just changed my life right there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. God. That's probably that's maybe 24 hours in my house. Yeah. I appreciate you doing this and uh, yeah. glad to hear your, your voice and see your smile. See it seems like you're doing well. And, and yeah, uh, things you're, are okay. you're this. there's anything I can do to help or if you just ever want to call and bitch about it, I'm, I'm here for you. <laughs> uh, uh, or if you have any great ideas to share, I mean, you can also, you know, good stuff too. Don't. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. So, so at some point reopening the store and making people wear masks and uh, I'll have masks available for people to buy. And then, uh, I mean, that's, so that's a good idea to share if you've yeah. got masks available for people to buy so that they could be healthy because there's no big supply chain for, for masks quite yet. No, um, there isn't. There isn't. Yeah. We've been, some of our people have been making 
uh, like uh, one of our repair tech, our main repair tech, his uh, his wife has been making them. And we bought hers for our staff. And uh, that may not be a bad idea. And I love your idea of using the proceeds for for some kind of charity. Because people want to feel good. And and yeah. the food the food bank of all the time in the world is going to be hit hard as this continues on. Yeah, um, people need food. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Well, that's a wrap for this episode. If you'd like help with your business, check out musicretailconsulting.com for articles, resources, and coaching and consulting services. Also, you can subscribe to this podcast so you're aware of future updates and rate and review while you're at it. Thanks for listening. 